0: Um, Sometimes you don't have the language to say, what's up? You don't really know how to express yourself. Then somebody else has such a similar experience and they describe it for you. Um, And then receiving support for the first time.
1: Welcome back to another episode of The Current Podcast. Uh, I am here, as always, with Aryeh Grossman. Hello, Aryeh. Hello, Alex. This is another very exciting episode of The Crown Podcast. Uh, we were joined by Shira Lenkin-Shaps, who is the founder of the Layers Project and author of Layers' Personal Narratives of Struggle, Resilience and Growth from Jewish Women, uh, which was published this time last year. But what makes it extra exciting is that
2: we recorded this episode in front of a live audience. That's right. So for this new season, we wanted to mix it up a little bit. And uh, we were honoured and privileged and excited to go to uh, Michlelet Mifeseret Yerushalayim, MNY, to record this episode in front of an audience of the amazing students there at MNY.
1: We recorded back in November of 2021, just as Israel was easing its uh, lockdown restrictions. Um, And we planned to publish this episode a little bit earlier. um, But uh, you know, life happens and things change, uh, which is very appropriate for this episode. We spoke to Shira about, um, you know, uh, challenges that people face in their life, the importance of sharing your stories, sharing your challenges, how uh, you know small decisions that she made in her life and big decisions she made in her life has had have, have had uh, a huge impact on the world at large. Uh, we also talked about um, dealing with those struggles uh, personally and as a community. We also spoke about the representation of women in Jewish communities. Um, and, you know, the vast differences uh, in emotional maturity and emotional openness, I suppose, uh, between men and women uh, in the community uh, and how they might be addressing that. And our wonderful audience members uh, from MMY ask some fantastic questions at the end, uh, which are all recorded for you here. And so without further ado, here is Shira Lankin Sheps uh, on the current podcast, live in front of the students of MMY. Shalom from Jerusalem and welcome back to the Koren Podcast. Uh, we're kicking off our third season with a very exciting uh, live recorded episode. Uh, we are incredibly grateful uh, to be hosted by the wonderful people at Michele Mevaseret Yerushalayim, (MMY). There's actually people here. There are really people here. It's very exciting. Uh, we're in a room with other people uh, in a post-pandemic world. Um, and we're also here with our guest, Uh, Shira Lankin-Sheps, who is the founder of the Layers Project and author of uh, Layers, um, a book that was published uh, about six, seven months ago. Um, And we look forward
2: to our conversation this evening.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: Um, So, Shira, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Let's give a round of applause for Shira. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, just to start off, can you tell us a bit about um, what was your kind of experience, real journey, what found sort of led you to create Layers?
0: The first thing that I want to say is actually tonight is a big anniversary. I saw Facebook told me before I got here that we actually announced the book last year tonight. Oh, wow. So that's pretty cool. So I'm really glad that we're, and I, and I feel like the three of us had a thousand conversations preceding that day. And so uh, it's nice to be here with the two of you and all of you here at Michal Abit Vasari Yerushalayim. <laughs> to uh, to celebrate this anniversary for us. It was such a big moment for me, and I'll, I guess I'll tell you why. Um, basically, this book came to be because um, of The Layers Project, and I'll give you a little bit about The Layers Project. The Layers Project is an online magazine for Jewish women talking about what I call the triumphs uh, and challenges of being a Jewish woman, what it's like to uh, to live, and we deal with stigmatized and taboo topics, and um, we do so online, and text, and interviews, and essays, and photographs, and all sorts of different media. Um, the truth is that the Layers Project started because I needed it the most. And um, when I was in my early 20s, fresh fresh graduate from Stern College for Women in New York, um, I was newlywed, and I had two little kids, and I came down with chronic illness. And it was kind of unexplained, we didn't really know what was going on, but it was really debilitating, and I was I was actually on bed rest, not pregnant, like regular on bed rest, just as a sick person for a really long time. And it was really difficult for me because I was struggling with all these feelings of shame I wanted to be so many things. I wanted to be, you know, the best professional I could be. I just graduated from social work school, and I wanted to work in the fields, and I wanted to be the best mom and the best wife and the best balabusta. I was the kind of woman that if you came to my house for Shabbos, you'd be like, oh, Shira, what could I bring? And I'd be like, nothing. Just bring yourself, and I'd make it all from scratch. But the thing is there's this, like, myth of being a superwoman, and that doesn't exist. And so I kind of looked around my community, and I was like, well, why is it that everybody kind of has their life together and I don't? why am i the only one who seems kind of imperfect and flawed and a little broken and i was so i was so angry and i was so ashamed i really i didn't talk about being sick i thought that it was something that i had to hide it was a secret and i really swept it under the rug and by the time i was ready to start talking about it it kind of felt like the shame of illness was killing me faster than the illness itself and so i started writing all these <laughs> very sad, dark, edgy <laughs> pieces, and I would submit them to these Jewish magazines anonymously because I didn't want anybody to know, I didn't want anybody to know that it was me. And they said to me, hey, listen, we love your writing, but the problem is that you kind of have to stand up and put your name on it. If you want to be an advocate for the cause, if you want people to take you seriously, you're gonna have to let them know who you are. And so by the time I was ready to do that, I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this on my own terms. And I started a blog called Emunat Chabaleilot, which I'm sure you all know means having faith in the night, you know, being able to access that sense of faith um, in those really dark moments of your life. And it was actually Hanukkah, which is coming up next week, and it was the second night of Hanukkah, and I wrote this blog post and I said, I don't, I, I'm sick, world, I'm sick, and I don't really know what it is, and I don't really know what's going to happen, and this is not how I saw my life going, this is not what I thought my life was going to be. but." This is what's happening, and I kind of have to roll with the punches. And actually, I'm changing, and I'm learning a lot about myself. I'm becoming gentler. I'm becoming a better listener. I'm becoming more empathic. And I don't know where this is supposed to go, but I'm going to have faith in the darkness anyway. And I remember I hit post. and My heart was like pounding a million miles a minute. Now, back in the day, you all were small. But back in the day, people didn't talk about dark stuff online people were posting what we call like the highlight reels, like the highly filtered best moments. Like you got all your kids in a perfect row, smiling and looking beautiful, but two seconds earlier they were killing each other. You know what I'm talking about? That's what Facebook and Instagram was back then. Now you guys probably don't even use those social media platforms, but we old folk, we use those platforms. And back then everything was perfect. And so for me, um, it was a big deal. And so I was really nervous and then I hit post. And all of a sudden I got this like flood of support of people being like, I had no idea that was going on. I'm so sorry to hear that. What can I do to support you? Or saying, you know, actually something similar is going on with me or I am experiencing X, Y, and Z that's totally different but I'm also experiencing a secret kind of pain and I don't really have anywhere to talk about it. I don't. I feel so alone. I don't see anywhere. anyone else in my community who's experiencing this. And so when I started to recover I decided that I wasn't gonna forget this kind of dynamic that was very healing for me. And I became this address, people would come up to me in the street or like at the supermarket or picking up my kids from school and they'd be like, I just wanna let you know, um, cause I feel like you would understand, but I'm struggling with an eating disorder or I was just diagnosed with cancer or I think I'm about to get a divorce. And I realized that there was just this whole world, this whole community of people that nobody was perfect, that everybody was going through something really, really difficult. And there was no space to talk about it. There was no space for people to feel validated or to feel understood. And so when I started to get a little bit better, I kind of dragged myself out of bed and I decided to take photographs. And I was photographing all these people and places and moments because I felt like I just wanted to capture, I just wanted to capture life again. But it didn't feel like enough. I didn't feel like I was there yet. And so one day I posted on Facebook and I was like, You know, I have this idea of this photo project that I want to do where I interview Jewish women about the challenges and triumphs of their lives. Um, I want to talk about stigmatized and taboo topics, and I want to photograph them. Would anybody want to do this with me? And within the first hour, 20 women reached out to me in the first hour. And I was like, well, wait a second. There's something here. And that's how the layers project was born. And it started as a photo based blog where I interviewed Jewish women and I did these things called profiles where I would tell stories in parts almost like humans of New York. And it kind of just blew up because we were talking about the experiences of singlehood and infertility and body image and eating disorders and mental health, all these things that at the time, this was five years ago, people were not talking about online and um, It was just a blog, but then we got so many submissions from people who wanted to tell their stories that we actually turned it into a full-on magazine. And about three and a half years ago, when I made Aliyah, I made Aliyah on a Tuesday, and on Sunday I got a call, someone pitching me the idea of writing a book, and within the month, um, I had a contract with Koren in my hands, and my first year of Aliyah, I spent writing this book. And so um, it's an outgrowth of the project. It's an outgrowth of this need, this tremendous need for women to express themselves, to connect with each other, to share, for us to learn from each other and educate each other truly about all these various different experiences that we really need to know about to understand the people in our lives, our mothers, our sisters, our friends, our cousins, our neighbors. Um, But if we don't experience it ourselves, it becomes a little bit more difficult. And also we have a space now... um, to feel validated, to, f- to read a story that resonates with something that we've experienced and say, wow, I'm not alone. And that is incredibly healing. And so that is kind of the the birth and the journey of how we got here today.
1: So I wonder, it started with your need, I would say, to, to share what it. I think probably is still considered to be a fairly taboo topic. People don't want to share um, struggles with their physical health, mental health body image, whatever it is, people don't feel like they want to share those things. Um, but you stepped up and you started doing that. And you said initially it was anonymous, but there was tremendous value in, in putting your name on it, putting your face on it. Um, how much did, like, the lack of representation of women in general, in in the media, in social media, in the from world, uh, how much did that impact on your decision to I mean, every single profile begins with a close-up photograph of, of the woman's face. Yeah. Um, I mean, is is that connected to just a general lack of of representation, and then going straight, you know, from naught to sixty, and talking about the the difficult, not even the difficult topics, the the, the topics that a few years ago were not spoken about at all?
0: Um, immensely, they were immensely connected. Basically, I I realized at some point in. 2015, 2014, I think people really started talking about this issue of women's images being removed from orthodox media spaces. And um, I was watching it happen as I was sick. And I was like, I was learning a lot about it and I was reading all these posts and there were activists who were here in Israel on the ground and people who were working in New York to try to combat this issue. Um, I used to get uh, certain, certain magazines, certain Haredi magazines because at the time, and still it's very difficult, but they do exist a little bit. Um, There were no, what we call like culturally competent, modern orthodox magazines. Um, And so I would turn to like a Haredi newspaper so I could get something to read on Shabbos. No, I'm a big reader. I'm an avid reader. And I would, I would actually, I literally had my Glot store where I would go and buy food in Bergen County, would um, special order certain magazines for me because I wanted something to read on Shabbat. And then I would flip through and flip through. And then I realized, hey, we have a really big problem here. Where are all the women? Where are they? And what really hit me hard was I had like probably a three or four year old girl at the time. And she would look at these magazines and she'd be like, Ima, why there's no girls here? And I, and I, and it was true. And I had to be like, okay, well, this is not acceptable. And when I started to learn a little bit about what's really going on and what, what it was about, um, this kind of like new, this new idea of removing women's images. It's really about money, but that's a different story. Money and business thats a different story. It's not about halacha. But um, I realized this was a serious issue. And as a photographer and a social worker and a writer, um, I just had a lot to say. And so stepping into the, the the role of activism in order to fix this, i you know, you can yell all you want. I made a choice to just role model something different. I was yelling from the rooftops and no one was gonna listen to me. But if you just do do better, do different, just make something, like every single one of you out here, like you have the capacity and the power to go home and to make something, change your community. And and that is, you know, when, when we feel empowered to do that, when we have role models who step up and make choices like that, um, it's incredibly empowering. And so I just said, okay, well, if they're gonna remove women from media spaces. I'm going to create an orthodox media space, but I'm going to do the opposite. And I'm going to plaster the photographs of SNEAS beautiful souls all over the internet. <laughs> you, you want to play? Like, you want to take them out? Like, I'll just do the opposite. And so, um, listen, I think that Instagram and Facebook has an amazing, amazing, amazing presence. Really, really strong presence of from women right now. Like, women who are influencers and women who are cooks and teachers and chefs and repits and all sorts of different kinds of media. And it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. We're literally experiencing a Renaissance of the power of the Jewish woman in terms of being able to influence and communicate in a really, really different way that I think that we've ever had before. It's unbelievable. But the problem is that the internet is ephemeral. It comes and it goes. Even newspapers or magazines, they come and they go. One day you have them, one day it's in your trash can. But a book, a book, is very different. A book lasts longer. It, it sits on your bookshelf. It sits on your coffee table. Um, you know, people have asked me, why did you decide, if you have this magazine, why did you decide to move it into a book format? Um, it's because a book is tangible. You can hold it in your hand. You can look at it. You can share it with somebody. You can, you know, it's permanent. You can hold it in your hands. And so um, there really actually isn't anything like this you know, a lot of even like cookbooks you'll see that are being published by different uh, publishers. They don't even have pictures of the cook, of the chef, in the book. You know what I'm talking about. They're not even there. And so this is a book of 34 women of all different of all different types, of full diversity, different skin tones, different places, different countries. Because as we know, um, Jewish women aren't all just one type of person, right? We're diverse. We come from all over the world. And um that representation was really important to me. It was important for us to be represented in a book. Um, I'm so grateful to Coren for giving me the shot to do this, to trusting me and to doing this with me in true, in true true partnership. I, I felt like the people at Coren literally pitched this book as hard as I did to each other. And it was really a, a tremendous, you guys know, it was a huge team effort. Uh, the Coren team was involved every step of the way in the decisions that we made and the diversity and how we put this beautiful thing together. And um, it's like it's like a time capsule, you know, like it captures what we were like, Jewish women, who speak English, living in Israel in the year 2019 when we wrote it. And um, yeah, it was a huge influence on the decision to do all of this.
2: So I wanna dig a bit deeper into the stories in the book. Mm. You mentioned before how kind of your initial stories came about through that first post. Um, but from then on, both for the layers project for the magazine and then for the book, what's your process? How did you find these stories? How did you find the women and what was that process like?
0: Yeah, so it really, uh, it depends. Initially what I used to do, um, well first when we first started, people were just like popping out of the woodworks. (laughs) Like I would get like, I don't even know how many messages a day once we first started being like, I really wanna do this, I really wanna do this. And then sometimes people would be like, I wanna do this but I don't know if I have a story to tell. And there was a whole intake process. Um, cause I'm still a clinical social worker and, um, there's a tremendous clinical, uh, aspect to these books and that's really, really important to me. And not everybody is ready to tell a story when they, you know, first reach out because you really have to have processed the experience. You don't have to be through it, but you have to, you know, really be whole about it so that you can share it and be able to, um, be whole yourself so you can be healing for others when you, when you read it. Um... But yeah, I I think that uh, sometimes I would just ask, I would say, I want to talk about infertility today. And then I would get 30 messages in the next hour. You know, I want to talk about X, Y, and Z. I'm looking for someone from this place. I'm I'm looking for this type of story. And um, usually would just, they would just kind of come because of the network that we built. Um, But what was really difficult was when I moved to Israel, um, I moved to Israel, I had been in Israel about three weeks before I started writing this book. And you know, when you make Aliyah, you kind of leave your whole network behind. Like everybody that you know from like your whole life that you've built up over the years, you kind of leave behind. I mean, there's some people here, but it's not the same. And so I really leaned very heavily on the people that I had met through layers and the people that I had met as I was going on. You know, I would reach out to one person who I was working with and they would say, actually, I know two or three other more people. And so sometimes it happened like that.
2: OK. And let's talk about some of your I don't know, obviously they're no favorites. But let's talk about like um, most like moving stories that you had, like the kind of the ones that really stood out to you. In
0: this book. Yeah. Um, ugh, there are so many. It is difficult to get through this book without crying, at least, I don't know, I'm not going to put a number on it, it's, it's, a, it's a, gosh, um, a story that I thought was really, really, really incredibly powerful is actually the last story, Adina's story, um, I'll show all you ladies, this is Adina, she lives in Efrat, some of you actually may know her, a lot of people know her, she lo- she's amazing. Um, she tells her story about losing her mom to terrorism during the first intifada um, here in Israel. And she was living in New York. And she tells a story about her mother's aliyah process during the intifada and how her mother was just full of incredible faith and how on Shavuot one year, um, her mother, uh, after Chag was over, she was it was Isru Chag, and she was driving to the Kotel and she was shot on the road um, from Efrat to to Yerushalayim, going to the Kotel, and um, kind of everything that transpired after that, the, the incredible resilience of the family, what the Shiva process was like, what the funeral was like, how how these people who came from America and they didn't know anybody were just so incredibly embraced by strangers and how it inspired and literally an entire generation of their family to make Aliyah. Um, one, of the, one of the most intense lines for me is she said, they took away a Sarah and we gave them back. Sarah's. There are like multiple children in their family that are named for this woman who live here in Israel. Um, it's just a really powerful, evocative, um, unbelievable story of love. Love for this place, love for her mother, love for her family. So uh, that's, definitely, that's, that's definitely up there. Um, what else can I tell you? There's um, Lisa. Lisa's story is also an incredibly powerful story. Um, Lisa is this, here I'll show you. This is Lisa. Um, She's this incredible woman. She lives here in our Mononaziv. And her chapter's called Life is Too Short for Regrets. And she tells a story about how as a very young woman, her husband was diagnosed with cancer, a very, very aggressive form of cancer, and how the two of them fought for eight years for his life. And she talks about um, uh, her t- her, their two young sons and, and losing him and the funeral and um, how she was able to rebuild her life and how she got remarried to um, a remarkable man and, and they have this remarkable blended family. And it's the kind of story where you're like ugly crying and then you're laughing through your tears because she's so funny and she's so witty and just so irreverent and... and She has just so much optimism. and you got to meet her in person. She's just full of joy. And um, that one always really, really sticks out to me. I'll give you one more. Um, Someone, this is a fan favorite. People always come up to me. Uh, We're going to talk about Yafi afterwards, talk about being a fan favorite. But um, Tamari. Tamari is uh, this incredible young woman. Okay, this is Tamari. Her, Her chapter is called... Promises Made, Promises Kept. And it's about the promise that she made. She's the eldest of, I, don't know, I think, like eight, eight kids, something like that. And Yeah, eight kids? Okay, cool. And uh, someone here knows my book better than I do. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and she, her youngest brother was born with Down syndrome. And she promised her mother in the NICU when he was born that no matter what would happen, she would take care of him. And as they got older, uh, when her brother was about 14, 13, 14 years old, her mother was diagnosed with a very serious degenerative disease and was no longer able to care for him. And she adopted her brother along with her sister and brought him from Baltimore to Israel and then is now raising him along with her own six children. This woman has six children of her own. Okay? And then her mother passed. And it's just, it's an incredible tribute. To the way that she was raised, to the values that her mother gave her, and to the the love that she has for her brother and for her family, and it's it's one that it's um it's 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 hard to even imagine being in that kind of circumstance, but it's it's a it's a really incredible story.
1: I mean, the stories are, as you say, each one to say incredible does it, it sounds it sounds as if it's cliche. It sounds as if you know struggling for an adjective, but each story does really. Contribute something; it it it, hit, it hits you. Were there any stories that uh, you said you know when you first started layers, you were overwhelmed by the response people wanting to share their stories, and some people saying like I'm not issue, I'm not I'm not even sure I have a story to share, but I want to share something. Were there any that were just too difficult too, too much that have never been published?
0: Oh yes, Can first off, one? I I think that um I think there's a space for every story. In different kinds of media, right? Not every media is a good fit for every story. Um, first off, in order to, to do this, you have to be prepared for your like deepest kishkas to be either plastered on the internet or to sit on someone's bookshelf. That's a very difficult thing to do. A very difficult thing to do. When I've done it, it's been incredibly difficult for me and I'm running this thing. So I know how hard it is to do. Um, that's number one. Number two is that we need to look at each format for the pros and cons. There are certain stories um, that in the past I felt that the internet or our community wasn't really ready to discuss on the internet yet. Maybe they didn't have the language for it yet. Like I hadn't yet discussed sexual abuse on the internet. We're doing it this week because of Higiazman. But we hadn't done it yet because I didn't feel like we had the language at the time. There was also another issue, which is me, which is that maybe I don't have the language for it yet. Maybe I don't consider myself to be a thought leader. Yeah, I'm a clinician, but being a clinician means that you really, really have to be very thoughtful about how you talk about things. You know, The goal of layers is to open conversations. Um, but sometimes I don't know how, and sometimes it just takes time. I've been doing it for five years, and sometimes you just have to Take one step at a time and until you figure it out, you know, certain topics are just so difficult and so charged and really um, a liability in the sense that really people's lives are on the line. There are several stories that I've turned away that I that Rachel Herkman, who's a clinical director over at Layers, she's a clinician based in New York. We've turned to each other and we said, thank God we didn't run that story because literally somebody's life was on the line. When it, when it came to an issue of mental health or physical health, someone's life was on the line. And so these stories are no joke. These are, these are like, these, these enc- encompass people's life, also they encompass people's safety. You have to be safe, you know. Um, there are certain stories that you just can't tell because they might not be yours to tell. And it actually might not be safe for me to tell it. You know, there are serious libel laws here in Israel. So when we were writing this book, we actually sat down with the team at Koran and made, we, we combed through certain chapters to make sure that we were doing things right, because, you know, it has to be safe for me, too. So, um, there are definitely stories that I haven't told, and there are definitely stories that should be told, will be told. Um, things take time.
1: Okay. We're not going to push you for so the
0: Oh, you want an example? No,
1: no, no. no. I think... I-, I gave you an example. <laughs> yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. I think, given given what you're saying, I think, to, to push you for an example might <laughs> that's all at risk. Um, but, yeah, as you say, how uh, Carl's my advice. The you and i spoke uh last week um and one of the sort of the unexpected outcomes of layers has been um i mean i'll let, I'll let you sort of you'll say it, you'll, you it <laughs> as always you'll say it better than i would but some of the unexpected uh outcomes of layers have have really been uh eye opening yeah such as
0: well the one that we discussed last week that was very eye opening was the very clear and obvious pointed need for men's stories in this format, which was not something that I was looking for, not looking to do, not anticipating, not thinking about. You know, we hear men's stories all the time. That's kind of the point. That's why we have a book of only women's stories. Um, But what happened was, was that we kind of discovered that men need an outlet like this. So we hear men's stories, but we don't necessarily hear men's vulnerable stories. So you hear all sorts of things, but you don't necessarily hear about male infertility, or men grieving infant loss, or men's mental health, depression, suicidal ideation, addiction. We don't hear those stories, and you know, more often than not, I get people send me photographs of men purchasing the book, reading the book, schlepping it in their uh, tefillin bag or bag, on the way to Minyan, sitting in a yeshiva at someone's makom at their shtender, meaning that there was a there was a need that I don't know that we anticipated. Um, and I definitely think that it's something to consider. You know, I definitely think there are different formats that could be appropriate for it. Um, but it's definitely an interesting outcome.
1: Right, I think we also, we talked about how there's, ne- there's- an unintended consequence, perhaps, is a, a gulf between uh, the like the emotional maturity of Jewish women versus the emotional maturity of Jewish men. And you joke and whatever that, you know, men just aren't as emotionally mature anyway. Um, like in general, I'm certainly not necessarily. Um, and we won't talk about Aryeh. Um, Thanks, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but sort of just being at ease, having these conversations or knowing that these conversations are being had um, in In your voice, in your space, as a woman is very comforting for a lot of people. I've heard. I'm, I'm not a woman. I'm not speaking on behalf of women, um, but <laughs> um, it, it's definitely something that is is uh, is a consequence of of the project. Whereas you know, men who are schlepping it in a talisag or sitting reading it in yeshiva or uh, or you know on the train on the subway on the way to work, um, they're sort of they're reading it through a
0: different prism. A different prism, exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, which I, I, I think is a very important um, conversation to be had, perhaps.
0: I think I think to what you're saying, there are significant consequences to this mm. issue of this like emotional maturity gulf gap. First off, there's a shidduch crisis because of this. right? This is a really serious issue that women are more mature than men, and so if they can't even emotionally be on the same wavelength, you have a problem. So we need to do what we can to even the scorecard a little bit to to help the men in our community um, be able to express themselves, you know, because it doesn't mean that they're not having a a, a depth or a, a wealth of emotional experiences It just means that they might not have the language for it or might not feel permission to express themselves on the level that women are expressing themselves. If women are constantly bombarded with messages, express yourself, we validate you like heal, you know, we're here for you. We support you. And men don't get that. People are going to be like this. Men are, women are going to be at a much different level than men. Um, that that affects the shidduch issue. There's also an issue of marriages. You know, when you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, v'chule. You know, that also affects how people communicate in marriages. So it's not just you know. It really it it spans the range of um, of ages really and generational issues. So it's something that we really need to consider as a community. I don't know how we're going to answer it, but I'll have to think about it.
2: I'm sure you'll come up with the answer as well. <laughs> Um we talk about the book in Talit Bags on on uh, Mekomot in uh, Yeshiva, Midrashat. This is it, maybe a weird question, but especially in a place of essentially Torah learning, why do you think or could you say like what layers, let's say, is a part of a Torah curriculum or Torah learning? Like what, what makes it like an important part of, yeah, we're learning all the other things that are on a regular sem or yeshiva curriculum why should let's say reading layers or talking about these topics also be part of that same curriculum it's a great that's not a weird question it's a great question it's a great question You're no welcome. one's
0: ever asked me that question and i have to think about that answer um i think that we do a lot of work in seminary and yeshiva on these issues of, of musa right on character development and emotional growth and we have a lot of conversations about that you know we dedicate a lot of hours to what kind of person do you want to be? You know, how does faith interplay in your life? And, you know, what, what we really need to be doing in seminaries and yeshivas is we need to showcase and to prepare our students for what does real life look like. And here are the tools to handle it. You know, now that's a very, very tall order. But there's a beginning, there's a seed there that needs to be planted, just like everything you know, is appropriate for every stage. So there are certain stories in here that are foundational experiences. And there are also experiences of very, very young people um, that I think a lot of people in the seminary Yeshiva age would really r- resonate with. Um, but we need to begin early to talk about issues of self-talk. How do we speak to ourselves? How do we dialogue with ourselves? How do we dialogue with God? You know, what, what's okay? What's not okay? What can we question? What 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 happens to us when we suffer? Because real life is hard, you know? I don't think that, I I, I didn't think that it would be. You know, I thought that life would just go the way that I had planned. And it did up until a certain point, And then real reality kind of crashed into me. But I don't think that I had the tools at the time to handle it very well. And it took a lot of really, really hard work and a lot of breaking to even know that I needed them and then to find them. So I think that this is a, it's a, it's a curriculum in a way for being a human, for being a person, for being a, a member of a community, for being um, a friend, a wife, a mother, a professional, a leader. And so I think in that way it, it's, and listen, the, the women here, they're expressing, some of them really express such strong expressions of faith like, like, like to, to such a degree that it's the sacrifices that people have made to be Jewish, to live as a Jew, to declare their Judaism, to, to move to Israel, to, to convert to Judaism, it's very inspiring. And I think that it only can affirm our faith. So, yeah.
2: Okay, so while I'm on a roll, another one. Um, especially again, we're here, you know, our audience are here on the Shana Barats. Um, you talked a lot about just now in terms of Zionism as well and Earlier, you talked about kind of the challenges of writing the book coming to Israel. In what way is, let's say Israel, Eretz Israel, a character in the book? What role does it play in the stories? Why is it an important part of this book? Ugh.
0: I, you know, I always say that this book is like a love letter to the Holy Land, because the thing is that, um, I think she's, she as is an Israel, as a character is portrayed as very realistically. You know, I think that sometimes when we're in America, we we get like a very saccharine version of the Aliyah process and what it's like to live here. Like, it's amazing and you'll live your dreams and your grandparents will be so proud of you. And that's all true. It is. But there's also a reality, right? There's a reality that this place is messy and it's chaotic and it's hallowed and holy and beloved and Sometimes you're a sister and sometimes you're a stranger and both those things are true at the same time and it can be incredibly difficult and like the best thing you've ever done. And you can hold all those truths in your hands at the same exact time. And I think this book does that. I think it it really, um, it's the backdrop for it. for so many stories. It's the solution to so many stories. It's the cause of stress in a lot of the stories. And, and um, ultimately, I think every woman ends up still so grateful to be here. And in order to, I think, make a successful Aliyah or to live here successfully in any capacity, you have to be able to deal with that reality because the minute things get a little bit complicated, the saccharine goes out the window and you still have to be able to hold on. You still have to be able to want to be here because if you don't want to be here, it becomes very difficult to be here, you know? we, we, uh, we receive or El through sacrifice. And so what does that mean? That means that nothing, is, nothing in life is ever perfect. We're not perfect, Israel's not perfect, things are complicated, but um, I think that the women do a really beautiful job of, of uh, painting a picture of a place that is home.
1: I agree. I think now we have a live audience, so you- we, uh, we should take full advantage of, of that fact. Looking around the room, behind me. Hello. Hi, good evening. um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Just opening the floor for questions, uh, comments, agrees, disagrees. We like disagreeing. Disagreeing is okay. If you have a question, raise your hand, we'll call upon you. Shira is, I hope you've noticed, is is very happy to answer your questions. Over here, talk very loud.
2: So just, if you didn't hear, the question was, would Shara consider making a sequel to Layers?
0: Yes. No, yeah, of course, yeah. That's, you know, when we first started talking about it in the office at Corrin, um, I think we sat down with Matthew Miller and he said something along the lines of, wait a second, so, what I, when we were explaining, you know, all these stories, he's like, so, this is endless, right? Like, there's just unlimited stories to tell. And we said, yeah, that's the point. Is that there's just such a, a wealth of experiences from women that yeah there are endless stories to tell so god willing one day and it might be soon when i have the emotional <laughs> wherewithal to dip back in to other people's lives in such an intense way i'm sure there will be another one god willing was another question yeah Well, I think that as a clinician, I'm a mandated reporter. What that means is that it's my job to make sure that I tell them to get help. Um, that being said, you know, um, we have a clinical team at Layers specifically for this very, very reason. Um, I was doing it by myself for a long time, for about a year and a half. And I remember there was just this one story that fell into my lap and I just was like, I don't know what to do with this. I'm only one person, you know? And um, that's when I realized that I needed to bring on a a team. And I don't make any decisions in a vacuum. And um, I consult with Rachel Harkman, who is the clinical director at Layers, as I mentioned before, every day. We've literally been talking every single day for about four and a half years now. I think November, it's gonna be four years since the magazine launched, five years since the project total. and these are things that we consider every single day. It's very, very difficult work. I can't stress that enough. I've lost many, many nights of sleep worrying about the women that I work with, making sure that they're okay. I never, ever, ever, ever would publish anything that would endanger somebody, their life, their relationships. Um, and not everybody would do that. you know. Sometimes you get a story that just, that's a good story. I'm going to get a lot of likes for that. I'm going to cause a causes a little chaos and I'm going to get a lot of attention on the internet, that's not the goal of the Layers Project. The goal of the Layers Project is healing. And, and if for some reason the story sharing it wouldn't be healing, I don't I don't run it. Period. Hard stop. Actually, to be specific, there were about four or five stories that I wrote for this book. I think there are about 42 that I wrote in the end. Do you don't know this? There are about 42 oh, yeah. that I wrote in the end um, that got pulled from the book because either I pulled it or they pulled it because even I had spent months and months interviewing and photographing and writing. Could you imagine? that I just pulled because it wasn't safe for them. And honestly, thank God that I did. Thank God that I did because their life circumstances changed drastically and it would have been really, really bad for them to have told that story at that time. So it's a constant, it's incredibly stressful. It's a constant um, awareness and thought process that goes into it.
1: I just want to pick up on something you said just now as well, that, I mean, you said at the beginning that, you know, the internet used to be and still definitely is, you know, you go on to, Whatever platform it is, and it's a snapshot of mm-hmm. um, of like perfection yeah. um, at the moment and there's like I've sort there's a meme going around now, sort of like the photograph that you post and then what's behind the camera and it's just like mess yeah it's like dirty dishes and whatever it's just <laughs> mess um, and like people are more aware now of how like social media um, is not real um, but you said how like these stories aren't being posted for likes they 're not being posted for you know. For shares, whenever, or sorry, they are being posted for shares. They're not being posted for likes, but the, these stories are being shared. These are conversations that are starting. There are real people who have either been helped by you and by layers, um, or who are uh, providing the inspiration for other people to go and get help. I mean, how, I, it's probably not possible to count the number of people who have read a post or read the book or read the magazine and then said, well, "Do you know what? I I need to go and." talk to someone now I've been experiencing that I need to go and
0: you know I I recently heard a story now this has been some of my favorite feedback since we started people who've been able to receive support not just clinical help but support from their family and friends for the first time because of stories that have been shared by other people Um, sometimes you don't have the language to say what's up You know, you don't really know how to express yourself or you don't you can't find the words to accurately describe a situation. But then somebody else has such a similar experience and they describe it for you. Um, And then I've had people reach out to me and say, I've um, I lost I lost babies 30 years ago and I've been mourning them ever since, and I never had the language to describe what happened to me, and I shared so-and-so's post, and I finally, for the first time, feel permission to mourn my babies. I, I've been experiencing infertility for 10 years, and my husband never really could understand what I was going through, and I shared his essay, and I'm receiving support for the first time. You know, Somebody reached out to me uh, recently, said that they read, there's a, a story of assault in this book, And this is somebody who had been experiencing assault and she decided to go and get help for the first time because this woman in this book told her that she should. That's an incredible outcome. People have gotten married because of this book because they read an essay, so and so, you know, stood up for herself and advocated for the person that she wanted or the way that she wanted it and then that inspired her and I literally got an email that said, Shira, you get Shachanas. Seriously, because because I would never would have advocated for myself if I hadn't read that essay. You know, and it was anonymous. I didn't even know who any of them were. None of them—not the person who emailed me or the person who posted the essay. So um, it's incredible. It's incredible. You can't. We can't really calculate, it and we'll never know.
1: Are there any other questions from the from the floor? Lots. Hello. Uh, hi.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, so what I mean by that is that life, when you, when you have something that's happening to you, it doesn't always end. You can't like tie every situation up with a little bow and be like, okay, I'm all better now. It's over. We're good. That's not how certain circumstances go. Sometimes it's just something that you live with. La netza. But when I say whole, I mean processed. I mean that it doesn't have to be over. It can be over, but it doesn't have to be. It just means that it has to be something that you feel shalim about, that you've done the clinical work on, that you can understand, that you've created some sort of meaning making, that you can then share that meaning with others, that you feel good enough in your body and in your soul and in your mental health that you can be an advocate for the cause. I always say that anybody who comes on layers, you're not just a person anymore telling your story. You're an advocate. You're an activist, and you have to be in order to. You have to be. You're so vulnerable. You're talking about on, on the internet. You're seen by thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Yaffe posted an essay uh, two years ago. It was read by two hundred thousand people. You have to be really prepared to 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 put your your name and your face to an issue. And so um, I tremendously care about the health and the mental health of the people that I work with. That's the whole point. If I don't care about that, listen, I'd have millions and millions and millions of followers by now if I didn't care. If I would just take advantage of this person and this person. But for me, it's really about, is this gonna help you or hurt you? Is this gonna put you on a path where you wanna be? And for a lot of the women that have done this with me, they have genuinely become activists for their cause. They have continued writing and they've continued speaking. It's unbelievable, it's unbelievable. And so um, that's a very careful process you know, and it really requires a connection. You really, I really have to sit with somebody and we have to understand each other because it's a journey. And like, (laughs) you know, like all these women, they thought they were going to sit down and tell me a story and move on, but like they've become my friends for life now. Like you're stuck with me. You do this with me once. Like you're stuck with me, you know? And like, I care about every aspect of your life. Anything that happens in their families, they call me up and they tell me what's going on because I know everything you know like it's a it's a real bond and so I really care about the people and so that's what I mean when I say whole
1: I mean we should also probably say out loud as well that when you say that if you want to share these things you need to be prepared for thousands of people to read it whatever that's talking about if you're sharing with layers if you're affected by something something you need to share if you're affected by something you don't need to feel that sense of like ownership over the cause if you need to go and speak to a clinician. Oh,
0: no. Right.
1: I, <laughs> no making sure li- that's clear to everyone. This is, is for
0: layers. This is for layers. Real life is very different. This is if you decide that you want to tell your story in front of thousands of people, This is those are the rules. This is not right. for real life. Thank you for clarifying. That.
1: Very <laughs> helpful. A couple more questions. One over here, then one over here.
0: Not well. (laughs) I'm kidding. No, sometimes not well. It really depends. It really depends. You know, I didn't, I didn't take such good care of myself when I was doing this book. I really didn't. I should have been smarter. I should have, I should have known better. I was too busy. I was too busy with adjusting my kids and Aliyah and, and the writing. And then I got like, I went into this, (laughs) the last few days of writing the manuscript. I like, I like, I don't think I left my chair for two weeks. Um, and I was not okay at the end. I was really not okay. My mental health really suffered. I like went into like a depression and it took me about two months to get out of it. It was really serious. And I should have done better, but we live and we learn, you know. In terms of my personal life, this project has brought me the gift of really, really incredible, special, soul level friendships that are so fulfilling. These conversations are some of the deepest joys that I've ever known as a human. So fulfilling. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, My life did not go in the way that I had anticipated. I really, really not. I did not think this is what I'd be doing with my life. But if you had asked me, or if you had told me this is what I'd be doing, I would have been thrilled. So uh, it's shaped me, it's changed me, it's educated me about the world and about what it means to be a human. Um, and I'm I'm deeply grateful for it. There was a question. So in general, layers is what we call non-denominational. It's a non-denominational space, written by Orthodox women. Uh, not all the women in this book are Orthodox. Anybody can pick it up. Anybody can take meaning from it. It's not a particular hashkafa. It's not pushing hashkafa or religion. It's just women as they experience the world from their own thoughts. Um, so it's very accessible. And uh, the goal is for the magazine to say that way too. And um, yeah, that's important to me for sure.
2: Okay. One final question um, from us. And before we wrap up now, the three of us have all, um, maybe a long time ago, been in the seats where our audience today are sitting, well, not literally the seats where you are sitting, um, in our respective institutions on, uh, in Yeshiva and Midrashah a while ago. Um, if you could give advice, let's say, to your 18-year-old self today, what would you say?
0: Not everything is gonna go the way you want it to. And it's gonna be messy and chaotic and it's gonna be better than you ever could have imagined. And you will make more of your life than you ever could have thought. And just be patient with the process. You don't always have to know why something is happening as it's happening. You just have to develop the tools to be okay, as okay as you can, as it's going on, because life always throws us curveballs. And, um,. Be grateful for blessings because they will come and they will come in spades and you will have many. And as you will have many challenges, you will have equal amounts of blessings or more. And so treasure them and treasure your relationships and be nice to everybody.
1: <laughs> I think that's always a, a good note to end on then. Um, so thank you to Shira Shapps for giving us her time and for producing Layers um, literally changing the world, literally saving lives, literally helping people every single day um, so thank you so much for joining us this evening and for sharing all of that and thank you of course to MMY <laughs> how are we you? um for hosting us this evening um it's been a wonderful way to kick off our third season a wonderful way to start our in-person interviews hopefully what will be a, a uh, long string of live recordings as well um, and so
2: that's all Thank you so much. And don't forget, um, before you leave the room, to take your phone out and to go to your podcast app and subscribe to The Quorum Podcast. It can be found on all podcast apps. And looking forward to having you join us as uh, one of our subscribers. Thank you so much.
0: And buy the Layers book.
2: <laughs> yeah, do that too. <laughs> Well, that's it for this incredible episode of the CREM podcast. Thank you again to Shira Lankin-Sheps for being our guest this week on the podcast and to MNY Michlelet to being for being amazing hosts uh, for us for this episode. Uh, it was really incredible um, to sit down with Shira and to talk about the book and the other really important um, ideas and um, topics that are brought up and highlighted in the book um, and just G- gave, definitely for me, a, a new way of looking at it and understanding it. And obviously, I think definitely a reminder that um, this book is very much, though it is about Jewish women, it is not just for Jewish women, but there's a huge amount that Jewish men, such as myself and Alex, uh, can gain <laughs> from Layers, from the book and also from all the work of the Layers project.
1: Yes, uh, and uh, if you haven't already done so, you can buy your copy of Layers. Uh, from corinpub.com. And you can save 10% on uh, layers by Shiro Lankin Shapps, or any other title uh, using code podcast at checkout. If you want to be in touch with us uh, about anything from this episode uh, or any other reason, uh, you can reach us uh, via email, podcast at corinpub.com or social media at Publishers. um We are hoping to do uh, a few more live episodes. Um, if you'd like to host a live episode in your community, your school uh, wherever uh, we uh, would be happy to discuss it with you so please do
2: be in touch if the jewish community in the bahamas happy happen to be listening we'd also be happy to come there and um, let's talk about it
1: oh yeah uh, we're not fussy what about uh, hawaii fiji
2: the seychelles oh that would be nice and the maldives <laughs> right
1: uh, so uh, that's all that's it for this week uh, we'll be back again in 2 weeks time with another fantastic episode of the crime podcast uh, so until next time goodbye Thank you.